Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Rumcast where we have two interviewees on the episode for the first time ever today. Yeah. Before we get into that, John, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Thank you, Will. Lately, my mind has been all over the place with so much great rum coming out that I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to stock my new rum cabinet with it. I don't oh, know. Yeah, the the birthday, the birthday present cabinet, correct? Yes, what an awesome present. And so I got to set up my whole collection and I'm kind of diagnosing what is it that I need? And one thing I actually did notice that I don't have is a port finished rum. Oh, okay. And lucky me, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but there is some recent releases that are coming out uh, very soon, I should say, uh, by Foursquare and by Holmes Key, which are both port finished rums. Or I should do. we say, yes, I, I shouldn't say port finish, but uh, involving export casks. Right, right, yeah. Um, and, and since I do follow the rum cast on social media, I did see the Holmes <laughs> Key release. Um, and I saw, I saw the Foursquare one as well, yeah. um, a new exceptional cask uh, selection series uh, with another one of those classic Richard Seal names from his little notebook that he told right. us about on the show. Detente. Which it does sound like a nice name. And it was pointed out, I think it was by uh, Ivar uh, online, that uh, this seems to be like the successor in terms of category to sagacity uh, for proof and price point. So that's kind of an interesting thing. But what's most interesting to me, Will, is that you've got an ex-bourbon and export rum coming from Foursquare soon. And you've also got Holmes Key, which has a port cask rum sourced from Foursquare as well, that are coming out around roughly the same time. Right. The key difference for me, though, as I've noticed here, is that uh, the Holmes Key rum is going to be a cask strength, as is their whole line. So 58%, whereas the Foursquare Detente release is going to be at 48%. Uh, release and then in terms of years they're similar one the foursquare detente is 10 years and then the port from the homes key i guess is 11 years according to the label yeah you you mentioned detente and the evar's idea of it being the successor to uh, sagacity it also reminds me a little bit of premise as well which i believe is also yes. around a similar uh, abv Yes. So that whole line, exactly. So it'll be interesting for me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what, spoiler alert, I'm getting both because, um, I, as, as I mentioned, I didn't have a port rum already in my cabinet. And for me, these both seem like amazing releases that I, I, I cannot wait to A-B compare. Yeah. So that will be fun as an exercise, and um, hopefully I can send you some as well. Uh, and we can do that together. Yeah, I'm going to go with my strategy of letting you use uh, your wallet on both full price releases. <laughs> and then I'll That's a good strategy. Uh, although Hope's Key is kind of tricky for me to get here in Nashville. Uh, but I, I know the 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 Foursquare release will, will certainly be in the market, I'm, I'm expecting as well. So, yeah, yeah. Um, man. Foursquare releases are churning out these days. They really um, the, are, the, though. I know. You know, I, I think people in, you know, rum circles online kind of like after a while, it seems like, oh, my God, like I'm sick of hearing about Foursquare, even though we all love it, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, it's it's impressive to me that the releases are still coming out and uh, demand is still, you know, very high for them. So uh, that's 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 great to see, I think, as much as uh, sometimes it can feel like, oh, Foursquare, Foursquare, Foursquare. Like, I think it's yeah. a really cool thing. I'm not gonna. Is, I'm not gonna ever complain about too much Foursquare. Is my point. I get it. I get it. And, <laughs> and as much of a fanboy as I am, I totally get that as well. And there is so much uh, more to rum, including blends, which is yeah. uh, exactly what we're we're talking about with uh, today for our nice interview. Transition. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So this episode is pretty interesting. So the interviewees on this episode, uh, Karsten Vlierboom and Niels Binshop, uh, the CEO and CCO respectively for ENA Shear 
which is a essentially a rum blending company based in Amsterdam. So they buy rum in bulk from distilleries all over the world. I should say most of the distilleries all over the world. Uh, they, they source from pretty much everywhere. They uh, will then supply blends of those rums to people who want to start their own brands. So one example is Denizen. I think a lot of, if you live in the U.S., you're probably familiar with Denizen. They do mm-hmm. the Merchant's Reserve blend, uh, which is the rum that Martin Kate uses it's kind of like his his philosophy of what the ultimate Mai Tai rum should be so it's a blend of Jamaican rum and uh, actually a molasses based rum from Martinique mm-hmm. so that's an example of like mm. you know it's a it's a brand that was started independent of a distillery they worked with Sheer to create this blend of rums uh, to fulfill their vision of kind of bringing back the original uh, something approximating the original rums that went into the Mai Tai and so Shear continues to supply that to them. Uh, the company, they come up with their own brand, they market it, they sell it, etc. So Shear, I think many brands, Denizen is not the only one. Um, Denizen does disclose that they're sourced from there. Not all people do. But mm-hmm. many of the, the rums that you see on the market that are not, you know, a distillery owned brand are sourcing rum from Shear. And I should note, I, I keep saying Shear, if you spend enough time in the rum world you've probably heard multiple pronunciations of this name some people say skier some people say sheer there was a very embarrassing moment for me personally where (laughs) i felt like i had failed generations of my own family because my last name hookinga is a dutch last name and i have spent my entire life having to help people pronounce it when they meet me Um, (laughs) most people have never seen it most people have no idea how to say it so i have spent you know countless hours of my life instructing people how to say my last name. Then I get on this podcast interview with Karsten and Niels, who are Dutch, you know, they're they're mm-hmm. from the Netherlands. Yeah. And I have no idea how to pronounce either of their last names. And so I have to ask them because I want to make sure I get it right. You know, I don't want to say yeah. them wrong. And they quickly pivoted to kind of giving me the Americanized version of how to say their last names because it would just be simpler <laughs> along the sheer by the way because the actual correct way to say sheer I'm not even going to try to do it because it involves kind of this you know sound that is not typical of yeah, like uh, an epiglottal type of yeah exactly <laughs> yes. it's kind of like a like kind of sound um yeah I, yeah I, I so they said saying sheer was fine so i'm gonna keep saying sheer well but. my favorite part though will <laughs> is that they said your last name correctly and it was I know. different then. yeah i think they pronounced it slightly differently from from the way i do <laughs> um so maybe you know my family's probably been doing an americanized version of our last name for years yeah. and years but that's neither here nor there. Just wanted to share my kind of personal moments of embarrassment. Um, so if you're familiar with Sheer, you've probably read the articles that Matt Petrick wrote about them uh, for CocktailWonk.com back in, I think, 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of one of the first big stories that kind of shared with the world what this company is and what they do and that sort of thing. So there, there's some existing, you know, uh, Uh, articles, interviews out there that really delve into the company history. And we wanted to kind of take a different approach with the interview because there's already all that great information out there. We'll link to those articles in the show notes. I'd encourage you to go check them out. Mm -hmm. But we wanted to go through like how, how does the process of coming up with a rum blend with a customer 
work. And so one fun idea that we came up with was they have this blending tool on their website where it's for prospective customers. It gives you a series of questions about the type of rum you want to make, at, you know, for people starting their own brand. And so our idea was, what if we went through this tool with them during the interview as if we were creating our own release for Rumcast listeners? Uh, yeah. So it, it ended up being a really, I, I had a lot of fun doing it. Same. And I mean, we even we brainstormed a little bit for like maybe 30 minutes before the call. Of like, OK, so what would our rum cat like if we were yeah. if we were going to have to like legit buy rum and like put our own brand on the market and hopefully, you know, not lose all our money? What would we create that our listeners would want? And so it was a pretty interesting thought exercise that, that I haven't stopped thinking about since we did the interview. Yeah, same here. I think uh, bringing something to the U.S. market was particularly challenging and interesting and thinking about how and what would we do to bring a nice blend uh, of something here to the U.S. market that doesn't already exist. And and also, you know, what were some of the other categories and things that Will and I, we had both thought ahead of time and found that we were actually in agreement with, um, which was kind of cool and, and helped a little bit in starting. Yeah, yeah. We had a pretty close shared vision. But uh, yeah, I think with all that said, let's shoot things over to the end. Interview. All right, so we are here with two guests for the first time actually on the Rumcast. We've never had an episode with two guests simultaneously, but ENA Shear is such an interesting company that it takes two people uh, for us to learn everything we want to know <laughs> about it. So we're here with Karsten Vlierboom. CEO of ENA Shear and Niels Binshop, who is the CCO of ENA Shear. Very excited for both of you guys to be here today. Uh, th thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Yeah, most welcome. So before we get into you know all things ENA Shear, how the company works, I, I want to talk uh, about each of you guys a little bit and your roles. I know we're recording this during the weekend. I'd imagine you're, you're not working so much today, but on a typical weekday, what does your day look like at work? What are you doing when you go into the office? What, what are each of your responsibilities? I'd love for you to kind of take us inside of that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So uh, my typical work day would be uh, going going to the office uh, uh, and as, as most people checking emails and, and, and seeing what's going on. All the exciting um, stuff. All the exciting stuff. I do a lot of management by walking around, which means that you know you just talk to people on the work floor and uh, you talk to people in the in in the in the the blending house and everything like that. Typically, a lot of the the projects that would be uh, in in the mailbox would require a bit of uh, thinking on on uh, on rum blends and stuff like that. Uh, so I'll walk to the little room we have, which is a sampling room, play around with liquids uh, for a bit. So that's more or less the rum blending side of things. And then uh, you know uh, the the CEO side of things is is a, is a lot of a lot of meetings, virtual meetings these days, and and emails and talking to people. Niels, what about you? Well, uh, my day starts with a really nice bike ride to the city because I live in Amsterdam, and our offices are in the in the city center. It's a really nice start of today. See all the history coming by the office. Um, you know, I have a small team, a couple of enthusiastic guys that are working with the, with their customers. Uh, making all the blends, um, so yeah, I'm looking looking into all the incoming questions. Uh, we have a lot of them. I think we on a typical day we get around five to eight incoming questions about new blends. So a lot of lot of projects. I'm trying to manage those with the team. Yeah, and then there's the the yeah, the normal meetings uh, we all have, and uh, trying to speak to customers as much as possible, which is 
a little more difficult, I would say, these days, but also easier uh, when every month uh, passes by in this crisis because people are getting used to uh, speaking uh, to each other via Teams or Zoom or whatever. Right. So, all learning all learning how to how to adjust in the moment it seems. Yeah. So when someone asks you guys, you know, what is ENA Shear? How does it work? How, how do you describe what the company does to them? Well, uh, let me answer that. So basically what we are, we're a rum blending company. So there's a, there's a lot of misunderstanding about us being traders or or merchants or or people like that, but basically what we do we're a company specialized in supplying rum in bulk to people who use rum in their process. Uh, we buy rum from distilleries all over the world, bring it to Amsterdam, make custom-made custom blends, and then we sell those in bulk to customers again all over the world. Very much uh, liquid service providers within the rum industry. You know, one thing I've, I've wondered, is there... Any, a, a parallel company like Shear in any other spirit category? You know, sometimes I hear people talk talk about you guys and they bring up comparisons like MGP and whiskey, but that's very different because they're a distillery. Is a company like Shear, is it unique to the rum world? Um, I, I don't know of another company who does it uh, as specialized as we do uh, and, and with the scale and size that we do. Um, I know there's there's similar type of companies in the whiskey industry, so... In Scotch whiskey, you would have uh, smaller blending uh, operations. Uh, I believe there's companies like like this in the cognac business, but in the rum business, uh, there's there's a few companies who, who do similar things, but but mostly on you know as part of either uh, being a bottler or as part of being a distiller, or uh, so they're not as specialized as we are. Yeah. And with rum, one of the things we often talk about that Will and I mention is how often it can surprise us and that it's such a diverse category within itself. And you can, you know, you can drink rum for years and years and you can still come to a rum that's unlike anything you've tasted before. So, Karsten, with all of your years of tasting rums from all over the world, do you still have moments where rum surprises you or you get a rum that's like, wow? And if so, when was the last time you were surprised by one? Uh, I, I would say I, I would say about... Every day. I mean, um, <laughs> the, the fun thing about it, you're so right. Rum is extremely diverse and there is so many different uh, styles and types. And, and as, a, as a blender, uh, I get to use all these different types and, 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 you know, put them together and create new blends. And some of these blends, you know, they, they keep surprising me because, you know, you, you, put, you put a combination together which was never intended by any producer if you if argument mm -hmm. speak we put a, a, a rum from um, from jamaica into a rum from thailand or or mm. if we put a, a, an australian and a barbados rum together that's you have all sorts of combinations which are which are just so different and they, they have never ceased to surprise me yeah really really fun really fun yeah uh, we have over thirty-five thousand recipes nowadays wow so you can just imagine that Every day is a surprise. Every day is a new, a new, new taste explosion. How, wow. how how do you keep track of all those? I'm imagining some very sophisticated, you know, organization and and records keeping system <laughs> that you guys must must have to keep track of thirty five thousand different recipes. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly uh, what it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we try to make all this complexity uh, not not so complex. So um, that, that's exactly what we do. So when when I when I uh, I started at Schierlas 25 years ago, I you know we would have uh, what we would call um, blue cards, and and a blue card would be a set of recipes made for a certain project. Hmm. 
Ah. Uh, and, and there will be a series of these cards in a box, right? So it's a very, very old-fashioned, old-fashioned way of finding. So not not digitized at all back in uh, that. That would have been the late '90s when you started, correct, no. Karsten? Back in the days, it wasn't uh, it wasn't <laughs> digitized. So this is what what you know. Part of what what my journey has been is also uh, uh, been transforming this company from from basically from from cards in a box to uh, uh to what we have today yeah, is modernizing yeah I, i'm picturing like a like a, a file card catalog in a library like <laughs> that's I exactly what i was this. seeing in yeah. my mind too yeah we, we still have it in our cellar yeah. so yeah it's there exactly what it was and, and nowadays it's different because you know it's <laughs> It all looks very romantic, but it's a big, big, you know, just a computer ERP system, and they have loads and loads of recipes. And at at the blink of a, of an eye, you can you can find the recipe back, and and you can uh, have basically in the ERP system uh, instruct our production team how to put that blend together based on 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 the the batches that are actually in the warehouse now. So it's wow, yeah, it goes pretty far now. How far back do some of those recipes in your catalog go? Uh, at least uh, in, in, in the card system, I'd say 40, 50 years that we have uh, mm. at least. And, wow. and then before that, what, um, what, what you would have is you typically have a different type of card system where, where you have customer cards and, and on a customer card, there would be a code of what, what would be supplied to that particular customer. Because whatever we uh, create, right, all the blends that we make are customer specific. So we would have, uh, let's say 100 years ago, we would have a, a company in, in Sweden uh, mm-hmm. buying rum or arak from us, whatever. Um, and they would they would buy a, a certain mark and that mark would be reserved specifically for them. And the mark would be, let's say, uh, a blend of other marks that we put together specifically on based on their request. Right. And, and that system still works today. So, Niels, I was, I was going to turn to you a little bit. I know you came to the company in February of this year, correct? Yeah, correct. I'd love for you to kind of take us through what the first six months have been like coming into a, a company like this, obviously, as such a long history what uh, i'm sure there's been a lot of on the job learning and things like that what have been some of the biggest you know surprises or, or lessons so far as you've as you've come into this well um I, I came in the company in february and have my background is completely different background in food there's a lot of stories there there's a lot of passion in production etc so you know that's my base but the whole rum industry was new to me and um I've, I've never heard of uh, of sheer uh, in my whole life so when i saw the job posting I went for the, the description, which fitted my personality, I think. And uh, so from day one, it was one one big surprise. Uh, first of all, uh, everybody knowing about Shear uh, within the rum industry, whereas I never heard of it. <laughs> it was a big <laughs> surprise. Uh-huh. And yeah, what I what I learned is that um, as sometimes as easy as it looks like, it's very difficult to to source the rum, make a good blend, and then deliver it in the way we do. So I'm very much surprised about the speed we have. If a customer comes to us, wants to develop a recipe, they get samples within two to three days. Uh, once okayed, we can deliver within seven to 10 days, um, just by having all this rum here in Amsterdam. And we're just a very, should I say, sophisticated company, making this very complex thing very simple uh, and doing this uh, so fast. So that, that really surprised me. Um, and it's, of course, that's uh, kudos for the team that, uh, that I'm working with now, because they're just doing a great job. 
So I, I want to dig into a little bit of kind of the, the mechanics of how Shear operates. You know, obviously you guys sourcing tremendous amounts of rum from all over the world, blending, providing it to customers. Um, as you just said, Niels, often at great speed, getting those blended and, and delivered. But, you know, it, it's simple. You know, Karsten, when you described what you do, you make it sound so simple. But under the surface, I, I'm sure there's all this complexity that is is uh, is very difficult to make happen. So one of the things that, that I'm interested in is sort of how do you make purchasing decisions like at, at what point does a distillery somewhere in the world making rum get on your radar and then how do you evaluate you know when you're going to purchase a large quantity of some rum you haven't purchased before what is what does that whole process look like I, I would say that a lot of the distilleries that are making rum are on our radar obviously because it's that's what we do for a living um, so uh, and 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 we are on the radar of a lot of distilleries as well because what we could provide distilleries is is sort of a instant cash to, to, to whatever they produce. Uh, whereas if they have to sell whatever they produce uh, uh, through aging and through bottling, uh, the cash coming back is, is a longer term cycle. And, and uh, you, we just, you know, we can help them with instant big volumes, uh, talk big volumes. Let's say a, a minimum order quantity with a distillery is, is 25,000 liters, right? So, uh, and, and that at high strength, is a substantial amount, but for us, mm. it's it's not too big. Uh, what is important is that we uh, have that we know the distillery. So if if you were asking a, a, about a new distillery, if we want to buy from a new distillery, uh, it it is policy that we have to go there. We have to know uh, know the people. We have to know the process. We have to know the uh, the possibilities and the limitations. Mm. Um, we have to understand how they treat their people, uh, how sustainable they operate within their, uh, their their working environment. They're all sort of part of our value set, which we have to check against their value set. And then it's a, it's a matter of seeing what what they are able to produce, and if we can use that in our uh, in our blending processes or in our recipes in any way. Mm-hmm. So it's not enough to just know the rum; you've got to know the people. Oh, very yeah, 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 yeah. Working no, environments. Everything. You can't, you can't just just go out there and 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 order uh, twenty five thousand liters of rum if you don't know who who made it in 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 what fashion, what way, what the what the philosophy behind the production is, because all those things determine very much the quality of the rum, right? Mm-hmm. And and all every distillery uh, that produces a rum has a has a certain set of uh, let's say. A certain set of decisions made. So, which raw material do they use? Do they use juice? Do they use molasses? Do they use a combination of those two? Which right. type of fermentation do they use? Which type of distilling uh, machine or apparatus do they have? How do they uh, how do they look at their cuts? Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of things like that. And yeah. I always make it you know sound as simple as possible. Yeah, we, we know these distillers. We know what they can do. So we know what we what we buy. Right. That's a simple explanation, but if you want to know exactly, it it, it takes a lot of investigation and and knowing uh, knowing who you buy from and what you're buying. And once you decide that, and you're comfortable with a distillery, are you then having a conversation with them and telling them what you're wanting them to distill, like to spec, or are you just selecting from what they already produce, or is it a little bit of both, or how does that part work? No, we prefer not to work with uh, uh, a distiller producing something to our spec. Uh, what we actually want to do is, is is for the distiller to distill what they're good at. Uh, they they have their own set of, let's say, a distiller making a rum will always tell me this is the best rum in the world, and I will always, <laughs> yeah. I will always tell them that I agree because 
that's what they are good at. And, and we prefer to buy something uh, from somebody uh, where, where, they, where you know they're good at than that, that they have to put something together which might not even fit the production process. Obviously, there is there is certain requirements. You know, the alcohol percentage uh, always has to be distilled below ninety six percent. That's obvious, and and uh, that's just normal uh, rum requirements, which which they have to adhere to. So methanol levels uh, uh, at, at within the food safety requirements and things like that. Right. So you're not setting out to make them the best. You are identifying the best, and then. Uh, as you said, you get to taste a lot of the best rums in the world. So that sounds like a good yeah, deal. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, and and um, it's not a it's not a matter of of being uh, a nice rum or a not nice rum. It, it's the the question is is this rum typical for that distillery? Got it. So you're looking for consistency as well, of course, and and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. which which is difficult. I mean, uh, producing. You must realize that that uh, uh, any rum distillery is is uh, which is normally uh, near sugarcane, uh, which is normally in areas which are uh, difficult, uh, you know, towards producing something. Uh, imagine yourself being in a uh, in a valley in the middle of a of a Caribbean small island. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not exactly production friendly. Where you can just you know, if something breaks, you just uh, you go to the shop and buy a new piece. You have to import it. It takes a long time. And so a lot of these things, the climate is difficult. The, the, there's a lot of improvisa- improvisation in in, uh, in rum production. And these guys, they're they're extremely, you know, they 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 have their whole production set up so it so it fits the environment. It fits their climate. It fits their type of cane. It fits their the whole working environment they have. It's it's about typicity and, and not good or bad. Yeah, I would imagine that's important when you're wanting to be able to provide a, a wide range of variety and blending that it may not always be a rum can end up being greater as part of a blend and, mm-hmm. and then potentially, you know, what it is on its own. So the more you have, the more options you have to work with and, and combinations to make, I would imagine. Yeah. person often talks about uh, being a painter and uh, right. finding colors. You know, Increasing your, your palette, so to speak. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not good or bad colors, but there's a lot of colors that you can add to make to make new things. Yeah, that's yeah, a nice way of looking might, at it. You might you might not like the color, but uh, you know, I, I try I try to make this 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 comparison sometimes with you know what's 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 so difficult about blending. Blending in itself is not very difficult, but it's it's something that somebody has to show you what to do. In in kindergarten, we all we all learn that if you put blue paint and and, and yellow paint together, you get green paint. Mm-hmm. So and this is basically blending those colors, blue and yellow, into into green. It's not rocket science. So if if you explain it that way, it's very simple. The only trick is that you have to you have to experience yourself. If you want to do if you want to make a a, a light green, you don't start with a lot of blue and, and start adding yellow because you'll have to add a lot of yellow to get to green, right? Yeah. So you 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 start with yellow and you add bit, little bits of blue and 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 so it's it's just doing that and 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 uh, experiencing that is is how you learn. You know, uh, you you mentioned consistency uh, earlier, and one of the things that was most interesting and, and kind of surprising to me at first when I was reading up on you guys, watching some some other interviews, I, I think most people hear about what you do and they think of, they imagine a warehouse where you've got like 
you know, a big container of rum from distillery A and a big container from distillery B. And, and maybe you have containers of individual marks and stuff like that. But one of the things I learned is that you have these things that you call intermediate blends um, that, that you said kind of help with consistency. I, I'd love for you to share more about what are those intermediate blends? What is the function and, and purpose of them? And, and how do you kind of settle on the components that go into each one? What you describe is actually how our, what our warehouse looks like. So we do have a lot of uh, a, lot, a lot of tanks with individual marks of individual distilleries. But what we also do is is for argument speak, if if we buy from a distillery, we buy let's say five different uh, rum marks. So that's mm-hmm. five types that they produce. Every batch might be different, right? So what we need to do is we buy multiple batches of one mark and we interblend them so we have a, a, a consistent blend of that particular mark we also keep some separate because we we want to have a single mark of a single vintage or something like that but that's that's beside this point if we have a sort of a consistent blend of a single mark we find that over the years and and we're we're talking long term here over the years that mark might have changed or that mark Mm -hmm. might no longer be available because that particular distillery is not available so if somebody has based their recipe on one particular mark from one distillery you know, and, and their whole brand re- revolves around that, then it's no longer available. That's the end of the brand, right? So we make sure that uh, we have intermediate blends and they, they, they normally, they would be put together uh, using eight to 10 different marks. So that could be, let's say we have a Jamaica high ester blend. Uh, and then we would take, uh, let's say, six, six to eight different marks from different distilleries and blend them together. So at least if one distillery no longer can produce a single mark, we have a blend which is that Jamaica Highester blend, which is a consistent mm. component in recipes. Because if if one mark is no longer available, we can compensate with the other marks, and, and we make sure that at least that component is very very consistent. Um, mm. We always try to advise uh, our customers also to to use that. If if you have a a brand which you want to be able to scale up, uh, if you have a brand which you want to um, want to be able to, to to supply for a long time. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be too dependent on one single mark, right? Unless that's the design of your brand. I mean, there's a lot of people who, who actually do that as well. That's also possible, and we also supply that. But for blending, intermediate blends are very important. So let's talk a little bit more about the customers. You mentioned uh, working with the customers and creating their own rums. So for for that type of collaboration, how much do you assist the customers in creating the right blend of their product? Um, do you ever hear like ideas sometimes that you're like, oh, wow, that's... Um that may not be uh, the right way to go with it, and and if so, like how do you how do you have that conversation, or do you just kind of say, "Yep, no problem, we'll we'll give you what you need." Yeah, we we can basically make make anything, um, and yeah, of course we 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 first ask and 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 then we act, which is our motto as well. Uh, but we try to 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 help our customers through the process, and the only only difficult things. Are when a customer expectation is, is yeah. something we can make. You know, you want to. They're wanna, like, I want a twenty-one-year-old rum, but I want it for less than thirty dollars. Yeah, a bar. yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so these are the things we advise with, and you know, our customers—they're they're the smart ones. They they can build these stories. They they're specialized in the, in that that uh, industry. So. You know, we're not we're not going to say it's stupid, but we we can say, okay, this is not feasible, uh, mm-hmm. but we can help you in another way. 
Yeah, we tend to, we tend to help them along. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, and if if you're referring to you know if somebody is is is, is intent on 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 making a certain blend of which I know in in advance it's not it's not very pleasant for a certain market. Huh? Right. Then I'll I'll tell them you know I'll say well if you put this together and 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 we'll physically do that we'll just put together what what they're describing and and then we'll have it we'll have the customer smell it and taste it and say well you know we do not think that's suitable for that particular market right but we will always then say but however if you look at a blend like this this might be suitable and and it's all about uh, listening very carefully. To the customers, or in, in what they're describing, what their project is, because it, it might be, uh, you know, if they, if they want a, a, um, they want a rum for a rum cake, just a, just a crazy example, and and then, but they they want it to be a, a fifty year old light rum. I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, that's not going to work because <laughs> light rum, you basically a fifty year old light rum. That that would be a bit of a waste to put it in a rum cake because as soon as you put it in the oven, a lot of the alcohol will disappear and and, and you might have a little effect. So, right, if you want if you want some effect on a rum cake, why not use X, Y, or Z and and try that? So, so we help them along and. Um, yeah, we created a nice tool for that. So we call it a blending tool. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're going to talk about that later, hopefully. Ah, yes. Excellent. Yeah. That, 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 that takes the customer through all the questions uh, we need to know. If, uh, and that goes along with your motto, right? The the first you ask and then you act. I saw yeah. that. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So on the on the note of the blending tool, one um, one maybe oddball idea John and I had to do on this episode um, was to actually go through the questions on that blending tool with you, acting as if we are creating our own signature rum cla- rum cast blend to sell to our listeners. Um, so I'd I'd love if you guys are up for it for us to kind of go through the questions now and us just to be able to kind of like ask follow up questions about you know what the process why you ask the questions you do and, and that sort of thing. One, one thing, we, we, need, we need you to evaluate the samples we will send you then. Okay, yeah, great. <laughs> deal, <well>. deal. Yeah? <laughs> we will, we will, <laughs> we're in. We will take that deal. Um, and so f- for, everyone, for everyone listening, you can find this tool if you go to rum.nl slash blending dash tool. And we'll put that URL in the show notes as well. But you can check this out for yourself. Now, don't go there and just, you know, spam them with a bunch of fake blend ideas. But <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, I think it's informative. <laughs> and if you are serious about, you know, creating your own rum, uh, you know, this is, I would imagine, a great place to start. Yeah, you have to promise me something that if we if we, we go through the questions and we actually end up with, with with producing some samples for you and you like the sample, you actually bring that bring that brand out. Bring it out. <laughs> um I, I, I don't know in, that my I don't know that my wallet is prepared to make that promise. <laughs> um <laughs> I got fifty percent. Will I'm in fifty percent. You got fifty percent. We're good. We're good. You know, maybe I gotta... maybe if direct to consumer shipping were a little bit easier here in the U.S., I might I, know. <laughs> I might jump into exactly. it exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, so it's very cool. You you pull it up. Um, you guys have a nice little introduction on the page of kind of how it works and everything. But I was very surprised. You know, it just how straightforward and how easy you kind of make it for a customer to go from like having an idea to. They can go through these questions and submit it in a matter of, you know, five minutes or so. But so, John, let's 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 look at some of these questions real quick. So um, question number one, are you looking for a heavy and flavorful rum or something lighter in style? 
yeah, when Will and I talked a little bit about this, we, we kind of prepped and talked about what would a rum cast audience want and what we, we want. Right. And we figure that we, we're heavily into, you know, rum enthusiasts and aficionados. So probably for us, we're thinking more towards the heavy side. I think it would be okay to still be medium bodied, but very flavorful, but we would be edging towards that. Is that, uh, Will, about cover it? Yeah, I, I think that's good. We definitely, we want something heavy, rich in flavor, uh, something that's yeah. going to stand out and be bold. Yeah. Um, something for people who are drinking rum regularly and are looking for something, you know, interesting that that may surprise them a little bit. So I think we're, we're yes. going to select heavy bodied rum right here. Boom. Yeah. So so the the, re- the relevance of that question is basically do do we do we use uh, uh, as 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 blending components do we use just light rums or or do we use some pot still rums light rums being rums produced in column still. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you're looking at, uh, at at something which stands out, right? So I, I would then already make a mental note. Yeah. Let's let's put some uh, some pot still rum into this or some heavier rum into that blend. Yeah. We got to bring the pot still. Right. Definitely. Yep. Excellent. Okay. Noted. <laughs> okay. So question two, does your rum need to contain aged elements? Um, you know, we, we talked about this. Uh, we are leaning toward, we want an aged rum. Um, you know, I, I, I do think people over index a little bit on aged always being a sign of quality. There's so many mm-hmm. interesting unaged rums out there right now. Um, I do think, however, this being our first ever, you know, rum we're creating, we want something that's probably going to be a little easier to sell. And I, I think aged rums, you know, would be for, for the audience we're going after a little bit easier. So I, I, we're going to go with age statement required. We want to be we want to be able to provide as much transparency as possible in the release. I know, you know, depending on, yeah. on what it is, we may not be able to put like the name of the distillery it came from on the label or that sort of thing. But as much as possible, we'd like to be transparent and provide all those right. all those details. So we're going to go with uh, age statement required. And, and just for the listener's benefit, the options you can select are no age required, aged rum required, age statement required or other so the relevance there is is, is obviously um, we can put all sorts of blends together so we could put a blend together of uh, of of uh, a column and pot uh, and then if you if you need an age statement the way that works is if you want a three-year-old that means that uh, that the youngest spirit in that blend we're going to prepare for you is going to be three-year-old right. you can imagine that uh, that has a that has a uh, an effect on the price if, yes. if you define it to be 20 years old it's quite a different thing Right. Um, so on transparency, what we always do is 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 we we tell you exactly what's in the blend. Mm-hmm. So if, for argument speak, uh, on on these two questions, you had a pot still and you had an age statement, and you needed to be five year old, and you would like it to be Jamaica for argument speak, we could give you a, a five year old uh, worthy part from Jamaica, right? Hundred mm-hmm. percent pot still, five year old. Uh, we we tell you all that. We will also tell you that Worthy Park is a is a uh, is a trademark, so you cannot be using that on your label. Right. You'll be you'll be able to say there's Jamaica pot still in the blend, or it, it is a Jamaica pot still, but you won't be able to use those particular name of that distillery because it's it's IP of the distillery. That that actually raises an interesting sidebar question for me. Um, so we we actually we had Zan Kong uh, who who uh, works for Worthy Park on the podcast uh, a couple months well, back. Um, yeah. And one of the things we talked about with him is just you know it's it's kind of a, a newer thing for many of these distilleries um, to be coming out with their own brands. You know you see distilleries like Hampton right now. 
coming out with their own brands, whereas historically they've they've mostly supplied rum in bulk to other people's own brands. I am interested, has, is it more difficult now than it was in the past to be able to list things like distilleries on labels? Are they getting more particular about that as, as they start investing more in their own brands? Or is that has, has that had any effect on the, the way you work with suppliers and that sort of thing? No, not really. Well, the only effect it has is is that you have to make uh, a good agreement about. So we we have, uh, for argument speak, well, I, I know Zan obviously very well. The the first rum that distillery produced went to us, obviously, and and we make uh, agreements with all our suppliers about uh, which terminology can and cannot be used by the clients that we that we uh, we serve. But we also uh, agree with the suppliers that we are transparent in, in what we put into a blend. So we will tell our clients what's in there. Okay. We will also tell the clients what they can and cannot put on their label. And, you know, a lot of our clients actually, you know, they, they want good quality rum from a good quality uh, producer, but they don't actually want to use the name of that producer because they're they're building their own brand, right? Right. Mm, why, right. why lift on somebody else's uh, merits? Yeah. I, I, not everyone necessarily is coming to you guys with the same kind of nerdy perspective that we are, where, you know, we want to put out a rum for yeah. rum aficionados where they want to know everything about it. They're trying to build up their own brand more so. You, you, can, you, can, you can really tell that story and you can say, so it's, 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 it's I mean, a, a geeky consumer can read between the lines and, and understand where that rum comes from. Mm-hmm. Right, but the whole the whole uh, no go area is where you put that name on your label. Okay, so next question on the blending tool: Does your rum need to be from any specific origin? So, John, we we had an interesting conversation about about this prior when we were kind of yeah. game planning what we wanted to do. Yeah, we went back and forth on you know, do we want to do a, a a blend of you know rums from different countries, different styles, different distilleries? Do we want to do like a single cask rum. So I, I think yeah, the idea there was, as you mentioned, there's there's a lot of uh, sometimes interesting blends out there that you've produced and others have, have put out on the market. And then there's definitely a market for single cask rums with the transparency attached to those as well that we just talked about. So we were kind of between the two of where do we go with as a first release, what makes the most sense for us as a brand and kind of get that out there. And we're, we're curious to hear if, if you've got any experience in thinking about that and, and kind of thinking about uh, guidance for people in that way. And then also, after you answer that, I have a specific question on this question on the blending tool that I want to follow up with. But I want to give you a chance to answer uh, that first in terms of the blend or uh, single cask. Uh, single cask is, is I, actually you're moving into a very, very uh, uh, niche direction, right? Because a single right. cask is just one cask from one origin, from one distillery, from one vintage. Right. That is very specific. Uh, multi-origin single casks is not something you'll you'll easily find. Blend of origins or one single origin? Uh, that's mm-hmm. a, that's another question. Uh, that is basically up to the up to the marketeer, and it should fit the story, right? So if you have a, a the rum cask blend, if you define it, you know, as actually don't want to be a blend, we want it to have a single cask. Uh, then you don't need a blending tool because then basically we'll just redirect you to our <laughs> true. to our, our other company, <laughs> the main, main run company. company, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Basically, they'll 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 go through. So, which origin would you like? Uh, which distillery or which mark? Which style would you like? They they give you a list of options. You choose a cask. Right. You buy a cask and have it bottled somewhere. 
And that actually answers my question that I had on the on the tool as well, because we were looking here and we're like, okay, so the options are no origin required, single origin or multiple origin. And the question yeah. that I had when it came up was, okay, does single origin mean single distiller or does it mean single origin like single country of origin? Single, yeah. Right. But that now that makes a lot more sense. I wasn't really thinking about it at the time. But of course, if we're blending, then yeah, of course, we need to be blending. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think we're going to go with single origin and we'll get into that more, you know, as we get into kind of what we want the quote unquote story behind the brand to be. But I think what we're most interested in is kind of showcasing a, a concrete style. Uh, so it might not necessarily all be from uh, the same mark, uh, interested right. in narrowing it down a little bit. So it's, you know, it's not something like uh, Banks Seven Island or something like that, for example, where you're bringing in. Well, that's a good, that's a good example of a multi-origin, right. and 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 what obviously, if you then click on the single origin in this in this blending tool further on, if you if you sent it, then all of a sudden uh, somebody will give you a call and say, okay, single origin. Is there any origin, any particular origin you prefer? Because we have you know we have uh, dozens of <laughs> origins uh, which we could offer there, so. You know, would it be uh, would it be Jamaica, Barbados, Trinidad, uh, Trinidad, uh, Nicaragua, Guatemala, Panama, Venezuela? You name it. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah, and and we we didn't settle it. You know, narrow it down exactly what we're looking for, uh, but kind of the direction we wanted to go in is is something that isn't easily found necessarily in the US market because that that is the market we're going to be focusing on um you know at least for our, our first rum cast blend you know we want to start with something that's more a little more accessible to us um international shipping i feel like might be hard for us so and, and that actually is one of the questions later on is are you aiming to market your rum in any specific region so i think for us we would be starting in the US there uh, and I think what we're yeah. wanting to do is, is to bring in something from origins that are a little harder to find, you know, on your local store shelf here in the U.S. So yeah. I'm thinking somewhere, you know, Asia, Indonesia, Australia, Africa, something that's a little out there and a little unfamiliar to the palate, something that can give listeners the opportunity to try something that they, they've never had before is kind of what we're looking toward. As much as we love the realms of Jamaica, Barbados, uh, you know, Guyana, places like that, we think there are, right. there are a lot of options out there on the market that that right. you know our our listeners would be familiar with and it might be a little more difficult to to sell them on us having something truly unique from one of those places yeah yeah well we have we have plenty of options and the the, the origins you mentioned yes you, we could we could offer something from australia we could offer stuff from from indonesia from thailand from philippines if you want uh, so that would be japan? That no japan we don't we don't actually have any japan? any uh, any product from japan uh, got it right now we're working on some uh, some collaborations there, but we're not uh, we're not finalized in, in 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 which one we are going to work with. Eastern side of Africa, so you have uh, places like uh, uh, Swaziland, Mauritius, Reunion, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Yeah, and and we we had uh, Steve McGarry from the Ben Lee Distillery in Australia on uh, an episode yeah. several months ago, and there's 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 this whole fascinating world of Australian rum out there that we weren't familiar with, and it was such an interesting episode. So I've been a, I've been intrigued by by the rums of Australia since then. Definitely, I can tell you it is it is a fantastic place. I have been I've looked at at, at their particular uh, way of, uh, of of producing rum. Mm-hmm. It's 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 different and and. I personally really like it. And the funny thing is that the other guy on the line, Niels, doesn't really like it. (laughs) We always have a little bit of a discussion on that. But um, I I think it's different. It's it's different. It's It's different. It's what we're looking for. 
right. growing me. That's exactly what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Now we have some, some nice aged expressions there. So you need an age run. Uh, you need an age statement. You need transparency. That takes a lot of boxes, actually. All right. Yep. We're, we're kind of narrowing it down here a little bit, John. This is exciting. Yeah. Um, so next question on here. Are you looking for a certain color in your rum? Um, the options here are no color slash white, gold color, dark color, or other. Um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about the the thought process with this question and and um, you know what 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 this helps you do when you're when you're looking to prepare a blend for people. Well, what 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 happens is that uh, uh, when you age rum in a cask, it, it attracts some color, mm-hmm. so you get a golden color, and 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 the longer it's in the cask, normally you get more and more color. But aesthetics uh, of of brand owners sometimes they, they come to us and say, well, you know, I want I want a three year old rum, but I want it to be white. You know, I I, I, I right. like a certain style which they have in uh, in Latin America right. where they have aged rums filtered charcoal. Mm-hmm. filtered. Um, you filter it through charcoal. You take the color out, and and it's 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 funny because it's a very very. Uh, it tastes like an aged rum, but it looks like a light rum. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. surprising. So that's why why we need to to ask that question. Um, also, there's a, the, the 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 ones that are are looking for this very dark navy style rum, uh, where you might need to add uh, caramel to be able to to get to that color. Mm-hmm. Caramel being spirit coloring, so it doesn't really add a lot of flavor, but it but it it adds you know obscuration and color. Right. I, I think for us, so releasing an aged product with an aged statement, so we're we're not going to mm-hmm. want something that's you know been filtered with the color removed. At the same time, John, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we're interested in having something that's you know like a black rum, like you know with with a lot of that spirit caramel added to to darken the color. I think we're we're good with whatever that natural barrel color ended up being. Right. So okay. I think we would select like other and just you know we're we're looking for natural color on our aged rum. Yeah. Yep. Perfectly doable. Cool. Makes our life easier. (laughs) Excellent. Okay, so is your rum intended to be used on its own as a mixed component in cocktails in a food product or as a base for an aroma? I got this one. Yeah, go for it, go for it, John. So what we're looking for is a rum that we can sip. So something that is neat or on the rocks, basically. Okay. Uh, So that's an easy enough one, right? Of course, if somebody wants to mix with it, hey, we're good with that. You know, you buy the rum, you do what you want with it, as a lot of people always say. But I think what we're trying to go for, especially here on the rum cast, is something that is a spirit that is going to be interesting on its own. Well, nine nine out of ten people answer this question mm-hmm. uh, uh, to be good to be used on its own, but also be used in a mix. Right. I think I see that on ninety nine percent of <laughs> bottles out there. Uh, you know, yeah. you can enjoy this neat or in you know a, a, a delicious yeah. cocktail. <laughs> uh, I think what everyone wants their rum to be, right? Yeah, but there's another element here which which uh, which we touch on is is because we also have clients who are using this stuff in in food products, right? Or as basis of aromas, and and, and we filter them out this way. Yeah. Okay. So next we have we covered uh, where we would be marketing it, what region. That's going to be right. the U.S. So intended price positioning for your rum project. Um, so the, I'm not sure why this price point stuck out to me, but I was just thinking, you know, I don't have much experience selling rum. Um, but for some reason in my mind, I was imagining I'd love to be able to sell this for less than $70. You know, something that'll be at a premium price point, but but not, you know, really breaking into $100 plus. I want to keep it in the kind of 60 ish dollar range for our, for our listeners. 
Yeah, so that's that's the, the the background of that question is to filter that out and, and basically say, okay, for you know for for that type of pricing, you can get this age range or that age range, mm-hmm. or because you're looking for an age statement, right? Single origin, right? Uh, it it sort of helps us uh, determine what is what is feasible. How premium liquid could we put in that blend or or, or in that product? Some some people come back and say, "Listen, you know, I've, I've I really want a twenty year old product and all that, and 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 it needs to be single origin, age uh, age uh, specific, and um, I would like it to be, uh, you know, the price point of about ten dollars." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is uh, either they haven't done their homework, uh-huh. or or you know, they their perception is is a different one. Do you all actually keep data from this tool as well? Like, is there like a data graph of like average price positioning that people have filled out this with? And and does that then inform your making decisions for purchasing things as well? No, no, it doesn't. Good good question, though. It is, it is, it is interesting. Yeah, if big data is, is, is on its way. Yeah. yeah, so it seems like an interesting thing to follow up with in terms of like, well, if, if the, the the average price point positioning of what people come in with when they're looking for, for rums is, I don't know, you know, I'm just gonna say $50, whatever it is, then you start to say, hmm, well, we, we have to think about that a little bit more and then kind of move from there in terms of what your available uh, stock looks like. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, what, what, what also, uh, what we do get is obviously we get all these questions and we, we figure out sort of that... If the number of questions with higher price positioning comes back, higher price positioning, higher age positioning, this means that you know this means that there's a trend towards this type of product, right? right. So this means that in our inventory we should have we should have availability of that type of product, being you know uh, uh, probably a deeper set of ages or a wider range of uh, of, of of distillates. I'm interested at that price point of, you know, 60 to $70 range. And I'm sure this varies depending on, you know, where it's coming from and, and that sort of thing. But what age range, you know, would typically be available to someone looking to sell? A, a, what, what's feasible at that price point? Yeah, that's that's very difficult to, uh, again, because, uh, you know, we're still looking at, at, at the different origins. Mm-hmm. Eh? You, you mentioned Australia being interesting. Um, Seventy dollars would 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 that be the price point you're selling it in the, in the uh, the end consumer market? Yes. Uh, would that be in specialty shops or in or in or in larger retail? So uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, sort of uh, calculating backwards mm-hmm. from the seventy dollar price point uh, in in communication with you to see sort of what the price point of the liquid should be. Right. And, and at the point that we understand that. We can then uh, go and and, uh, and and look at which elements we can put in a blend to achieve the right price point. Right, and that's what makes the tool beneficial here. Because, for instance, the next question is, what are your volume projections? So, sure. large category, a hundred thousand liters plus. You know, medium, twenty five thousand liters, and small, one thousand liters. So that, in con- in conjunction with all the other questions, starts to give you the picture of what we're really looking for and what you can advise people with in terms of where yeah. they're trying to get to. Yeah. yeah. So for us, Will, what are we thinking volume projection? Well, I mean, we do have hundreds of thousands of listeners, but since this is our <laughs> first one, I think maybe we'll go with the small size. Yeah. Uh, uh, just, you know, we, we want to kind of put it out there, see how it does before we really, you know, uh, write, write, write the really large checks. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not about writing the large checks, but it's, it's also, uh, uh, this also gives us an idea. I mean, if you, if you, if you want that, that particular age statement and you want that particular origin mm-hmm. and you want it to do it real large scale, that means, you know, you're limiting the amount of options because 
some of those distillates, you know, maybe from Australia, we don't we don't get a hundred thousand right. liters of, of a particular age, but we get less. So it it also determines which things we can offer and which things we cannot offer. So the next question you kind of alluded to already, which is, do you have a specific story which you want the rum to fit to? And tell us some headlines, which is a very provocative kind of, and then there's the field where you can just enter what you want. Um, yeah, I bet you get we'll, some great we'll, responses here. Um, <laughs> you do? Yeah, I, I, I think for us, you know, I, I don't think there's there's an elaborate branding backstory we would be using here you know we're not yeah i I think of something like like the real mccoy for example which is is tied to this story of this legendary rum runner uh that sort of thing i don't think what we have there i think we have something more like eric k at holmes key for example you know he's going out there he's sourcing these single cask rums from all over the world and bringing the best ones at cask strength to enthusiasts i think we're, we're going after a similar audience not quite at the same price point but um, right. We're wanting to take find rums that are hard to get for our customers, our listeners here in the U.S., bringing them something yeah. interesting, something that they can sip on their own, but uh, that that you know is is isn't going to be over a hundred dollars necessarily. So um, we know we're, we're not g- getting into those super fifteen year age statements, and that's okay. Um, we we think our our customers you know like appreciating something that may be younger but but still interesting because it's something they haven't mm-hmm. experienced before. So I think that's kind of what we're going for here. Yeah, and Eric, I think you know he's, he's a great guy, but but he's he's he didn't go into the blending tool thing. He went into the single cast thing, right? Right. So he he he, he goes out to to the team at Main Rum Company and has has elaborate conversations about what he's what he's looking for. Mm-hmm. And basically, selects the right the right barrels for his particular rum project, and, and you know, rare and aged and old rums is is basically his playing field. Right. Whereas uh, what we would be looking to do would be uh, similar in terms of transparency, but still using blend, even if it is a single origin, right. but yeah. blending. Yeah. Yeah. And Eric and 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 Main Rum certainly picked some some wonderful casks. Yeah. 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 He, but you know. <laughs> Eric is is he's a he's a great guy. I mean, he he's really quite particular about about what he what he chooses, and and uh, and he does a lot of testing and and uh, and a lot of uh, yeah, testing with with his potential uh, consumer group as well. Yeah, uh, I have I have every bottle so far, and I'm <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a fan. He does great bottles. Yeah, yeah. he does. He does. He's well, so he, basically, he makes good choices. Yeah. So next up, any uh, any other information to share uh, that that hasn't been covered? Any other? Qu- I think we've covered it pretty well, John. I feel like we've we've presented you know what we're going after, what our yeah. what our um, super planned out vision is for this project. Uh, I think we've communicated that. So the hours and hours we spent <laughs> on making sure to get. <laughs> uh, and then last but not least, can you please let us know how you found our blending tool? I actually first heard about this on the uh, the live stream that both of you did. Uh, with Zavi.co, uh, which was wonderful. You guys actually, Niels, you kind of took a, took people on sort of a miniature tour of the the uh, pro- the main office you have there in Amsterdam, and it was it was fantastic. So that's where I first heard this blending tool. But hopefully, you'll have uh, a wave of people coming to this blending tool now and saying, "Hey, I heard about this on the Rumcast." That's that's what I'm hoping for. Oh, that would that would be that would be great for us. I mean, uh, you know, that's that's really helps us and and helps everybody who wants to put a rum together sort of structure the thoughts because sometimes without these questions, right? People will come to you with a, with a a bit of a more of a fuzzy story, and then you basically from that fuzzy story, we, we just 
we take a conversation and we go we go by the the questions that we've just uh, uh, went went through and and basically do exactly the same exercise but not online but in a conversation efficient uh, yeah. and it and it speaks a lot to the modernization like you talked about earlier where you were saying you took it from you know where it was 25 years ago to now here's kind of the the process you've laid out which allows this to be so efficient in that way so it's it's a really cool tool it's it's a must as i said we we receive uh, around 5 to 8 questions today wow. so you need to be efficient with this and and still make these beautiful uh, bespoke remnants uh, so uh, yeah it takes organization yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess we can transition out of the blending tool a little bit. Back in 2001, I know you merged with the main rum company, which is in Liverpool. And I yep. uh, wanted to talk a little bit about what went into that decision at the time and, and what are the differences between the rums you source at Skier versus main rum? Uh, well, basically, the main rum company was one of the clients of Skier at the time. Uh, but but they were working in a in a slightly different manner. Uh, they were also the, uh, the basically the importer for Guyana rums into UK uh, of Demerara distillers, and there was a strong connection there. And and the guy who founded the main rum company, a guy called Ben Cross de Chavan, he always imported Guyana rums and then took a few casks, uh, bought them for himself, and and laid them in a in a warehouse in Liverpool. And over the years, you'd built quite a, a, a nice inventory of, of aging rums. Um, we thought, you know, this is complementary to, to what Skier is doing. Uh, Skier is, is, is very much uh, uh, doing blends for people and, and all these single casts. And sometimes people want something special. We have a collection of special items if, if we merge with the main rum company. Initially, we also had the main rum company uh, basically do all dealings with the UK companies. It's, we thought that was good. Um, but nowadays... Main Rum Company is is very much uh, a one-stop shop for rare and old rums in cask. They only have casks of rum and they only sell casks of exquisite rums. You know, over the years, you you, you can see a big trend in, in, in rum where, where there's there's more and more premiumization. And, and part of the premiumization is a little bit similar to the whiskey industry where they're looking for, you know, single malt whiskies or, or single casks. Uh, a lot of the rum aficionados are also lo- looking for single cask or, or, or very mm-hmm. specific items. And, and we are able to offer that by, by the main rum company. So what we do these days is, is, is we buy a lot of uh, different styles and, and, and uh, we also buy a lot of aged rums. We bring those aged rums to, uh, to Amsterdam in Isotank. Uh, we fill, let for argument speak, some, some eight-year-old Barbados rum. We'll fill it into cask in Amsterdam. And then send that to Liverpool for further aging. And then marketing-wise, our customers, you know, they can start with the, with the blends, and then they come, can come out with specials, uh, single cask. Uh, so right. It's a great opportunity. Yeah. So I, I imagine that walking through the main run company warehouse would be a little bit like the end of Indiana Jones, where there's all those <laughs> crates <laughs> everywhere, except even cooler because we know that there's rum in all of these barrels. Um, so I, I guess I'm kind of thinking in that mental picture, what do you think if we were to be walking through those warehouses would surprise us most of what we would see? I would just just the amount of barrels and 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 the environment is is, is very impressive and and you know you you sort of stumble across uh, forgotten marks and and and, and ancient yeah. uh, you know things you've you've read about in rum history where you, you see a marking on the, on a cast you say I've seen this before somewhere you know this is ah is it that is it is it from that origin is it that particular mark is it that vintage Christ 
you know, you'll just you'd be surprised by by the things you you run into. So it's so large. There's almost like these forgotten. You're like you go back to it and you like blow the dust a little bit off, and you're like, oh my god, I forgot about this. This is amazing. Look, it's the Ark of the Covenant rum. Um. <laughs> Actually, that, that would be that would be stupid because we're a business, right? So we have <laughs> that's to <know>. true. <laughs> but it makes a really good story. But you're right; it's stupid for business. <laughs> stupid for business. I mean, any any stories about that? Oh yeah, that's a, that's a cask which was in the corner. We forgot about it. Yeah. If if that is true, you're not you're not a, you're not you're not doing a good business. But. <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> but it is it is the most difficult thing in selling these. Yeah. You, you rather keep yeah them. it's more it's more a question of what 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 you what you keep and for how long do you keep it uh let's say you know you have these 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 gems or or the, the crown jewels of a of of a collection yeah you could also consider the main rum company a bit as a as a as a, an antique dealer right where they yeah. have all these all these antiques and and some of the antiques you you hang on to them until you know they're going to be worth more Right, because it's not like a, you know, like a, a department store or Best Buy or something where you put items on clearance because they're not selling. Right, it's not the same no. thing there with rum because you know the rum is going to age and continue to age, like you said, and you get into this kind of uh, instead of diminishing returns on it, it's almost appreciating. That's huh. true. That's true. you do lo- you do lose uh, rum along the way, yeah, because rum does evaporate. Obviously, the angels need to drink, right? <laughs> Right, and so you know you're you're doing a lot of uh, aging in Liverpool at the main Rome company's facility. I've also heard heard you talk about aging at at Origin. H- how do you decide when to age in in Liverpool uh, versus when to age closer to where the rum is sourced? And are are you seeing an increase in demand for tropically aged rums rather than continentally aged, as you know it would be referred to historically? Um, what what does that look like for you guys? Well, we see that uh, uh, I, I prefer aged at origin than 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 tropical aged because there there we have almost tropical climates in the south of Spain these days. Yeah, so uh, that's a good point. Basically, it's it's aged origin or or, or aged somewhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's there's different trends there. Some some people prefer uh, just aged at origin rum. So uh, if if we don't have that in uh, in our portfolio now, we have to build it, right? So we we build inventories in origin and age it there. Uh, we, we buy a lot of rum, which has been aged in origin, and bring that in, in tanks into Amsterdam, which we use in blends, obviously. But we, uh, uh, what we also see is, is that there is, uh, there is trends towards, uh, let's say, um, the geographical indicators and things like that, where everything is, is uh, uh, let's say, uh, fermented, distilled, and aged in a certain geography to be able to, um, uh, to, be able to put that uh, as, a, as an indicator right. on your own label. Yeah. Now, in order to be able to also cater to that question, we also have uh, rums aging at origin. So you guys are really situated in a unique place in the rum industry. You have a perspective that I don't think anyone else has based on, you know, how many distilleries you're, you're, you're dealing with, uh, how many brands and, and, and customers you're supplying. So I'm, I'm interested to know, uh, get your perspective on how the rum industry has evolved over the last few decades. What, what are kind of the biggest changes or developments you've seen in terms of what buyers, what customers want from you? And then on the flip side, what are the biggest changes on the, the supply side, the sourcing for you guys? 
so yeah, the big, I, I would get the biggest changes is, is, is this whole trend toward premiumization. The fact that we have a, a broad and wide inventory of, of, of things to offer, which is uh, where people are looking for is, is more and more individual run types, more and more uh, what you call a little, a little exotic. Yeah? So there, what has always been there uh, is, is, is of less interest than all these new things. Hmm. So we, we need to really uh, continue looking around for, for, for uh, new distilleries, different offerings, uh, exotic origins, uh, you name it, and, and, and we'll, we'll need to be able to offer that. I would say rum industry is, develop, is developing uh, in, in a sort of a, a wider and deeper uh, set of qualities, if that makes sense. You know, you talk about constantly searching out different things out there. How much volume does a distillery have to be doing before it really becomes feasible for them to have a relationship with you guys? Basically, uh, from from uh, whatever they can ship in the smallest possible volume would be a cask or, 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 or a number of casks or, or an IBC or anything like that. The trouble is that the smaller distillery, if you have a smaller volume to ship out, shipping costs become prohibitive. It, it's a bit the, the story about, you know, people going around the Caribbean and and selecting that one cask from that distillery, um, and, and and bringing it to uh, you know, to bringing it into bottling in uh, in Europe, that is extremely difficult because many distillers won't won't want to sell you just the one cask, and, and uh, shipping and transporting one cask is is as difficult as shipping a a twenty full container full of cask, right? Yeah, but to to give you an example. Uh we uh, recently um, bought some rum from uh, a, a Dutch uh, rum producer, which is also oh, located wow. in Amsterdam. Mm. And, uh, Tell us about that. Well, um, we were thinking that in the midst of the of the COVID crisis, uh, we were thinking what we can do to uh, to to help. Uh, wow, that's a really cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is a distiller that just started. They started right in the middle of the COVID crisis. So yeah, they had had no outputs. Uh, uh, but they wanted to distill. So in order to help them, uh, we bought some rum mm-hmm. from them, uh, which we then put in casks and, and are now uh, in our uh, warehouses uh, waiting uh, for them to be uh, a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that is so, fascinating. And that's kind of what was on my mind when I was you know, asking about you know, how big does someone have to be before a relationship can start? Because there's hundreds and hundreds of these craft distillers popping up you know, virtually all over the yeah. world now. And um, many of them are doing super interesting stuff, um, but it can be hard for consumers to get their hands on it because, you know, it's small quantities. Uh, they're not able to send it everywhere. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to hear that you're able to, to work, at, at, you know, with some of those, uh, like the, the local uh, distillery that you mentioned in, in Amsterdam. Yeah, but we yeah. do it with, with others as well. I mean, there's, we have some, some U.S. craft distillers who, who we work with, and, and, and they, send, they send some of their rums uh, to us as well. With the Dutch distillery, actually, the, the, the funny thing is that because you just started, um, they also want to, to have an aged rum later on, right? right. So, so we have particularly we have bought that rum, but they've also um, guaranteed to them that they can buy it back at a certain price in three years. So we're not going to sell it to anybody else. Oh wow! It's 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 going to be their rum, right? We're just going to help them uh, uh, start up and, and and make sure that they don't uh, they don't die in the process of starting up. Keeping a parcel for our for our. Yeah. Uh, 
and teach. No, that's children. great because I, I mean, I know this is certainly a very challenging time for for uh, craft distillers right now with with uh, with with the loss of a lot of uh, yeah. tasting room sales, things like that. Sure. Um, it's very challenging. So it's great that you're able to to help out in that capacity. And these are the guys that help build this business. Huh? So yeah, and we've we've done it with with you know with bigger operators as well, where where you know where they. They set up a distillery, which sometimes you know it's not a craft distillery. If you're you're building up a real distillery, then then it, it, it's it's an it's an expensive exercise. And um, you know, if we, we we know the people, we know what they're doing, and uh, and, and we believe in in the project, we'll we'll commit to buying uh, uh, some of their output and and make sure that they at least uh, go over the first threshold of of. Uh, of, of getting some cash in so they can continue to sell rum under their own brand later on. Excellent. Well, well, guys, I, I want to thank you both. I don't want to keep you here all day. I certainly appreciate you both taking some time out of your yeah. Saturday to, to chat with us and then take us inside what you're doing out there. Um, before we go, we do have a, a very special segment to end all of our shows that is optional, but if you're up for it, um, it's a segment that John hosts where it consists of uh, a quick succession of rapid fire questions that take place over one minute uh, in which your challenge is to come up with a response to each question as quickly as possible. So if you're up for that, I will let John tell you a little bit more about that. Um, if not, that is okay too. Sure, we're up for it. All right. Will, when you're ready, you put one minute on the clock and we'll we'll get going. All right. Yep. I have a minute on the clock. So John, whenever you're ready. All right, here we go. And neat or on the rocks? On the rocks. All right, column, pot, or blend? Blend. Uh huh. <laughs> Surprising. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on your website, the company's guiding theme or motto is first we ask, then we act. If there were a third part of that statement, do you think it would be, and finally we rest? Or maybe we high five, or we party, or something else? Well, we don't rest. <laughs> we don't rest. <laughs> All right, your favorite person to share a glass of good rum with? Someone who enjoys a rum. All right. Liverpool or Amsterdam? Amsterdam. There is a U.S. video game company called Electronic Arts that has a famous catchphrase for sports games, and it goes like this, EA Sports. It's in the game. How would you all feel about using EA Shear? It's in the rum as your next marketing tool. That would be very nice, but we'd say it's in the blend. Oh, it's in it's in the blend. That's even better. It's in the blend. EA Shear, oh, it's in I the blend. It. EA yeah. Shear, it's in the blend. <laughs> I go. love it. What place or country makes the best rum in the world? I'm not going to ask that. <laughs> I'm not going to jump in. And that's time. <laughs> All right. No answer is a good answer there. <laughs> Thank you guys for participating. Keeping everyone happy. Yeah, thanks, guys. That was yeah. great. everyone. Well, thank you very, very much for joining us and listening to that interview with uh, Niels and Karsten. Thank you, Niels and Karsten, again for a great conversation. Uh, we really enjoyed that and going through the blending tool was such a, a cool idea for us. And, and thank you for entertaining us with that. Um, we just want to make sure that everybody uh, knows where they can reach us for feedback. Um, we are on Instagram and Facebook, uh, and you can always get in contact with us there. In fact, recently, we've gotten really great free feedback from everybody, and we're really happy and 
We love hearing from you all in terms of what you think about our episodes and some ideas for future episodes as well. So definitely get in touch with us there or at rumcast.com. You can always send us an email there, host at rumcast.com, and that'll get to both Will and myself. Yep. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back again soon. Thank you.